This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome, this is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show with Andrea and our very special co-host Alice. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everyone. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We would like to show our respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, of elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, whose land we are broadcasting from. We're opening the evening with a podcast from the Queer Community Network News, QNN. QNN is produced and podcast by Jacob Holman. News and information for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex communities of Australia and the world. QNN is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. So if you missed the community highlights, podcasts are available for download from the Joy website, joy.org.au forward slash QNN. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Made in Melbourne for Australia and the world. This is the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Roundup. A weekly update of what's been happening in the gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans and intersex communities. G'day and welcome to QNN. I'm Adam Samuel. And I'm Alastair Kingston. The annual ALP National Conference has brought cheers and tears to many as leader Bill Shorten promised to legalise same-sex marriage within 100 days of an election if his party wins power. It's a small win for the Labor leader who's been suffering in the popularity polls. While the election's still a year away, Shorten's vowed to have put as much pressure on the Abbott government as possible in the meantime. The Labor leader's speech certainly struck a chord with most party members, especially openly gay South Australian Senator Penny Wong, Wong was greeted by a one-minute standing ovation as she took to the stage. Thank you, delegates. I don't think I've had a prouder day as a member of the Labor Party. And I will be prouder still when we deliver marriage equality in law. A nationwide survey taken by the University of Melbourne has found that LGBT people have poorer health and feel less happy than straights. The annual Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia survey asked 17,000 people questions ranging from housework and income to health and happiness and for the first time sexual identity. It found gay and bi men feel less safe than straight men and that smoking rates are higher in the LGBT community. However, the results were not all bad, with both gay men and lesbians found to be better educated than their straight counterparts and lesbians tended to have higher incomes. No stranger to speaking his own mind, US President Barack Obama has used a visit to Kenya to speak out against the African nation's treatment of its LGBTI community. I believe in the principle of treating people equally under the law and that the state should not discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation. Obama related discrimination against LGBTI Kenyans to legalising racism in the US, but President Uhura Kenyatta seemed unfazed by Obama's comments, calling gay issues in his country a non-issue. The fact remains that this issue is not not really an issue that is on the foremost mind of Kenyans. We've all heard stories about high-profile homophobes being caught out on Grinder or busted having sex with another man. Now a study has shed light on why this might be the case. Researchers from the UK and US found evidence to suggest that homophobia is the manifestation of repressed sexual desires. The study indicated many people who were homophobic were forced to repress their true emotions because of strict conservative upbringings. It found that people who identify as straight but have a strong attraction to their own 
own sex might be threatened by gays and lesbians as they remind them of their own desires. An Islamic preacher set to debate same-sex marriage in Sydney next month has been urged to do so respectfully. Hong Kong-based Whale Ibrahim has previously compared same-sex marriage to people marrying stray dogs, reptiles and computers. However, Australian marriage equality has urged Mr Ibrahim to respect Australian standards by debating the issue in a way that's not demeaning to same-sex partners and their families. AME's Rodney Croom says overwhelmingly Australians want the marriage equality debate to be conducted in a respectful, mature and non-hateful way. Briefly now, and a Seattle man was the only participant in a heterosexual pride event he organised. He claims people didn't turn up because they're afraid of the gay community. And drag queens will now be free to perform at a pride event in Glasgow after an earlier ban prompted by concerns drag acts might be offensive to some trans people. Liberal MP Warren Ench has made an emotional plea to his party to end same-sex discrimination after watching a YouTube video made by a gay man who had been tormented for being, well, himself. Young Victorian turned New Yorker Lachlan Beaton made a YouTube video documenting his feelings of depression over the past 12 years, which struck a chord with the politician. A long-term supporter for marriage equality Ench is calling on his party to lead the way and create a society that is inclusive and accepting of individuals, regardless of sexual or gender orientation. Trans woman Caitlyn Jenner has made her first public appearance since her transition, accepting the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at this year's ESPYs. Tanya Lewis has the story. Presented by out-US soccer player Abby Wambach, Jenner gave an emotional speech at the ESPN Sports Awards night, highlighting the struggles young trans people face with bullying and suicide and asking the crowd to accept people for who they are. She thanked family, friends and sport for giving her an identity and says the award is not just about her but the thousands going through the same struggle. If you want to call me names, make jokes, doubt my intentions, go ahead. Because the reality is, I can take it. But for the thousands of kids out there coming to terms with being true to who they are, they shouldn't have to take it. And over to the US now and Thomas Roberts has made history by becoming the first openly gay anchor of an evening news program on a major US television network. Roberts took the seat behind the desk at NBC's Nightly News on Saturday. Roberts stepped in for Lester Holt, who is the regular anchor of Nightly News and also co-host with him on MSNBC Live during the week. Until the broadcast, an openly gay person had never anchored the Nightly News on network television. Roberts told The Advocate that it was a huge honour to fill the role. A federal judge has ordered the US state of Utah to list the names of a lesbian couple on a birth certificate as the mothers of their new baby. US District Judge Dee Benson said the case wasn't hard to decide in the wake of the US Supreme Court ruling legalising same-sex marriage. Angie and Kami Rowe of West Jordan argued in court that the state should treat wedded lesbian couples the same as heterosexual couples who use sperm donors to have children. And back home now, Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne, Australia's most senior, said he didn't want the church's schools to accept and tolerate that some students were gay. Dennis Hart made the comments in 2007 after he buried a report that addressed homophobia, discrimination and self-harm in Catholic schools. Archbishop Hart asked Catholic school principals to send children home with glossy booklets opposing same-sex marriage in May of this year. The Archbishop appeared to distance himself from the comments this week, saying there was no place for homophobia and everyone should be respected. However, he did add that the church would not promote, quote, the gay lifestyle. Briefly now, former Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson has faced the wrath of social media after posting a photo in front of a fudge store that has offended the LGBTI community. And now it's time for Q&N Sport with Tanya Lewis. 
In the US, Sean Conroy has become the first openly gay professional baseball player coming out to his Sonoma Stompers minor league teammates. Conroy was surprised to be the first but says he did it out of respect to his friends and teammates so that he wouldn't have to lie to them in social situations. So far, Conroy is having a great season with 27 strikeouts and even pitched a shutout on the team's pride night, preventing the other team from scoring. Aussie bobsledder Simon Dunn has been voted the hottest man in the world by a gay UK magazine. The 27-year-old topped the hottest 100 list in Attitude Mag, beating out two-time winner Tom Daly and hopes his surprise victory can spread the word about equality in sport. Dunn is the first open openly gay man to join a bobsleigh team and was recently in the news for saying that he wouldn't marry until same-sex marriage was legalised in Australia. Thanks, Tanya. And that's Q&N for another week. I'm Adam Samuel. And I'm Alistair Kingston. You're listening to Joy 94.9 and this is A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. From last week's Is Nothing Secret, Raina versus Triggs. The team talks with the former Victorian Commissioner for Equal Opportunities, Human Rights and Advocate Lawyer Moira Rayner. She discusses the rule of law in Australia in the light of the concerted campaign by the Abbott government against Human Rights Commission, Professor Gillian Triggs. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au or from the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. And we are here with Moira Rayner, who is a human rights activist, a lawyer, an advocate and an all-round maven in on the uh, issues of democracy and um, and individual rights and the rights of communities and and ordinary people out there, as opposed to the sort of entrenched interests of um, the big end of town. Traditionally, the role of attorneys general in a democracy in a in a parliamentary democracy like the Westminster system has been as the first law officer, hasn't it? Isn't that the way that it's described? Yes, uh, we developed this tradition from England and the Attorney General was really somebody who didn't really have to be in Parliament even. It was somebody whose job it was to to make sure that the independence of judges uh, was protected by speaking up in their defence when they were criticised. So they defended judges. Yeah, very much. And they were responsible for making sure that judges were appointed properly and on proper terms and for life so that they didn't uh, have to feel they had to satisfy the executive side of government. And that the judges that were appointed were cognizant of the of the issues that they would face when they were um, sitting on the bench because there are many issues that have arisen Mm. in the past 50-odd years around rights like issues around domestic violence and children's rights and so on and the emerging, our emerging issues of LGBTI rights. And so we, we really need to have someone, don't we, whose job it is to say to judges, you need to be aware of this and we will protect you in the exercise of your judgment, because that's what they're doing. We should be appointing judges who understand the deepest principles of the common law and the deepest principles of common law, because we've only got a partially written constitution, actually, are written into it, so to speak, in, in letters of gold. By and things is, like the Magna Carta. By things like the traditional constitutional yeah, documents, which led to the writing of the Australian Constitution. And that's why we need to appoint damn good judges who understand that the common law depends on the protection of the freedoms of individuals. So we were talking a bit before about Gillian Triggs and, I guess, what she represents to the government as a threat... <laughs> rather than this checks and balances as we would like. And I suppose that's mostly come about through her speaking out about asylum seekers. So can you, I guess, 
debunk a few things. Firstly, is there a queue for asylum seekers and how does that queue work? Uh, no, there isn't a queue for asylum seekers. There's a United Nations network of places where people who are or believe they should be found to be refugees can go. It's but mostly people in danger. People in, who have been persecuted because of something about their fundamental beliefs. But there is no right to be received as a refugee in any country. It's just a place where you might get lucky. So where, why did this misconception, where did it arise from? Well, basically bullshit in the media. <laughs> <laughs> and we found a quote over the break, which we like, which is by anti-Nazi advocate Martin Niemöller. He was German. And he said... He was a Lutheran minister. He was a Lutheran minister. And, and we think this is relevant to our situation now. He says, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. So, Moira, during the week we saw an interesting thing that flew around the internet with Barnaby Joyce apparently being being asked, or apparently asking in the cabinet, from the leaked cabinet um, discussion, why would we allow a minister to... Um, make a uh, or strip somebody of their citizenship isn't that what we've got courts for and allegedly peter dutton who's the minister for immigration who's getting this power said i wouldn't worry about it. it's just an administrative decision is it just an administrative decision no it's one of the fundamental rights actually guaranteed by the universal declaration and the magna carta before that even that's right Um, but it's also divine law as a matter of fact you have a right to a name and an identity which includes a nationality and a national origin in the united states you cannot be deprived of your citizenship other countries have other rules i mean the uk does this don't they at the moment they've they've had this law of depriving people of even their first citizenship which is English citizenship. Yeah, they can do that, but the the people there have a right to go to the courts over it. And this is one of the things that is deeply worrying about the current proposal, that a person who is presumed or thought to have been um, fighting for a foreign force or, in other words, uh, being apparently... Or materially supporting a foreign... Or materially supporting terrorists or or whatever else, uh, can be stripped of their citizenship by an administrative decision. Now, this is one of the things that is totally against the rule of law. Interestingly, this is just on the side, Dante, who wrote uh, the... Um, the Inferno. The Inferno and all the other bits of, uh, of um, paradise, was stripped of his citizenship in Venice on the basis of the say-so of a minister because there was no basic rule that you could not be stripped of your status and rights and entitlements and possessions um, unless there was evidence against you and a non-biased decision-maker being made. You could actually be, and he was, stripped of his citizenship, never went back to Venice again, on the say-so of gossip. Citizenship is such a fundamental liberty and human freedom and that I can't don't be think taken away like I this. I don't think we're that far away from it in the gay and lesbian community either because if, if a government decided that it didn't like gays and lesbians, it could just say, not recognising your rights anymore, bad luck. Well, indeed, so this was kind of what used to happen, actually, mm. Jim. I remember these days very well when uh, a, a, a young academic could be thrown in the Torrens River in South Australia and allowed to drown and nobody took any notice about it. <gasps> 
because he was gay. That's right, Dr George Duncan in 1970-something. Moira, in the, um, we were just talking about the rule of law a minute ago and whether or not um, the Minister for Immigration actually understood the rule of law, but isn't it more serious than that? Because according to some, um, some reports in the Saturday paper on the weekend, um, it's the Prime Minister that's been leading this, um, this charge against the Human Rights Commission, the President of the Human Rights Commission, and, there were, and there's been some talk that, that she's been given inducements to move from her position. Now, isn't that actually illegal to give inducements to, um, to officers of, of statutory officers of the Crown? Yeah, yes, it is, as a matter of fact. And the only reason that matter having been referred to the federal police, the only reason it hasn't gone any further is because Gillian Triggs didn't want to make a complaint. She is one gutsy lady, you know. She has been the subject of vitriol and unjustified attacks but for a very long time. But could make a complaint? Um, or does it have to be her? It has to be somebody making the complaint who can testify directly as to the facts on which these allegations are made. Now, she's made her public statements, but she doesn't want to make a complaint at this time. And I can understand why. She is saying that she has been subjected to ridicule, deliberate misconstruction of what she said, accusations of political partisanship in the timing of her inquiry into the detention of children uh, offshore. Uh, who are Which shows that people didn't read the inquiry. Well, they didn't read the report because she was equally attacked or attacking of the uh, previous government's policies and procedures and detention. Um, and she's been uh, substan- those allegations have been substantiated in her commission of inquiry and also by two or three other ones since so it's quite clear that the uh, bad things are happening this is not the point my point is that the it seems that the very highest levels of ministers of the crown have uh, made it their business to try and turn public opinion against her because they don't have the power to dismiss her because they don't like the fact that she's telling them the things they don't want to hear, um, including that the way in which children are being treated um, in immigration detention is is absolutely unacceptable, and that um, some of the things that they're planning on doing, as in stripping Mm. citizenship, are contrary to the principles of the rule of law, and that her role is there to do exactly that, and to make sure that Australia complies with its international legal obligations. That's why it was set up in 1986, and you will know the date. This is not a modern radical government new process set up by the the baddies. It was set up by the Fraser government. And it was set up for very sound reasons, not just moral reasons. In fact, for good sound reasons based on comity of nations and freedom of trade and commerce and the building of secure national sovereign states Mm. and a common understanding about how we should treat one another as citizens. But that was at a time when we had uh, an anti-apartheid liberal, real liberal Prime Minister, isn't it? He was no saint, you know. <laughs> well, he was no left-winger, that was for he sure. He was certainly no left-winger, and I don't see left-winger as a, as a critical remark, <laughs> frankly. I, know, we, I think that's we, fine. We see it as a badge of honour in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I just... I, what my major concern here is that she is being attacked for doing her job, mm. and the way in which it is happening is disgraceful. Uh, it is, has been publicly admitted that he, she was uh, made... It was made clear to her that if she chose to take up some other appointment, then uh, they would uh, allow her to go and breathe a sigh of relief. It has been very obvious that the other commissioners, and in particular 
particular, Tim Wilson have been somewhat reluctant to speak up in her defence, even though they had a hand in the reports that she has written, uh, all of which means that if she steps down, then that means that that little bulwark against absurd mis use of executive authority we will, will be, be removed and we're all exposed to what may then flow mm. and we it is really important we're for ordinary at, people to understand risk. it's all our rights we need to be very mm. alert yeah. about so is the public backing Gillian Triggs? Yes, I think they are. And I think this is why there's such a vicious attack on her to try and ridicule her, make her look stupid, make her recommendations that a, a bloke who'd been detained illegally for five years, for example, should get compensation. And say, so, see, she's politically naive or she's biased and, and, and she's a stupid, fat old lady, which is what they did to me. And I'm not stupid and I'm not fat, but I'm an old lady now. Um, but I think that the public need to get fully behind Gillian Triggs. She she is actually standing up for the institution Go Jillian. everybody's right. You're on Joy 94.9 and this is A Little Pot of Joy with your hosts, Andrea and Alice. Up next from Second Breakfast, social media for women. Sonia Hammer had in the studio two wonderful women, Lana Wolf and Lauren Stardust. Talking about something they were both part of on Thursday 30th of July, a panel discussion on naming and blaming and social media. Sonia, Lana and Lauren talk calling out calling in, pitchfork mobs, hanging judges, justice and just us, accountability, responsibility, friending and defriending. Bit of a tongue twister there. Thanks for that, Andrea. And if you just can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, joy.org.au or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. A second breakfast here on Joy 94.9. We have in the studio with us talking about naming, blaming and social media and things like that. We have Lana Wolf. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And we have Lauren. Lauren Stardust. Oh, hello. How are we? So everyone in the queer community generally mm. knows about Midsummer Festival. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some people don't realise that we have a midwinter festival as well. Right. And yeah, we I do. didn't realise that. Yeah, we have a midwinter festival and it's a much smaller, cosier festival and mm. I'm facilitating a panel for midwinter festival and the panel is naming, blaming and social media. And mm. Lauren Stardust is one of our panellists. Hello, hello, once again. And why, why, why are you a panellist? Why am I a panellist? Yes. Uh, I had a viral post happen a little mm. while back. I'm assuming that's the reason why. Yes. <laughs> um, one of them. One of the many. Uh, in, in which um, I, I didn't name, but I sort of brought to light, and I tried not to shame either, I just brought to light internalised misogyny in our culture uh, mm. when I went out to have uh, lunch with my partner and I caught two women out uh, making fun of my outfit because I like to wear lots of bright colours mm-hmm. uh, and they were trying to take a photo of me in my outfit as well and so in, I, I confronted them about that and mm. uh, then uh, sort of uh, put my findings on the internet uh, and watched it go and it went viral viral wow wow yeah and the, like it's, international yeah. viral yeah yeah how I many th- thousands of so pets? many thousands yeah, <laughs> so i was many. trying to think how many uh a, a lot i haven't looked lately um because mm. it's a little further down on, on my feet i think it's into the hundred thousands it, it is into the hundred thousands i think you're not wrong and but it was just such a such a surprise mm. and a terrifying surprise like i, I mean I, I had bad dreams about getting doxxed because mm. if you're a woman on the internet it's a terrifying place as as we've yeah. seen and especially in the last year can you explain what doxed is? Doxed is when people release all of your information mm-hmm. onto the onto the internet for basically everybody to 
find and to use as they wish. And and that can be really terrifying considering mm. that women are usually stocked already and, and a lot of harm can come to women, uh, you know, in their homes, uh, sometimes by partners, but sometimes through forces from the outside. But uh, yeah, I had, I had nightmares about that and it, it, it was really funny like that, realising how how much women don't have a voice on the internet or uh, it's just another place where women are silenced or regularly silenced. Mm. So Mm. it's that naming and shaming is in a way very important because it's where still all of the societal construct Mm. that keeps us down is just translated onto the internet so Mm. we need to we need to start calling it out calling that bad Mm. stuff out (laughs) and so another panelist we have which has called out Mm -hmm. quite spectacularly lately is clementine ford so we're very lucky to have her on the panel and what happened to her for those who don't know oh okay (laughs) well it is a long sort of story but um clementine ford made a wonderful post or took wonderful action against the sunrise one of the sunrise presenters basically shaming women or victim blaming women uh, after there was a mass nude photo leak in in the US. The post on Sunshine said something along the lines of when will women learn not to take naked photos of us, Mm. of of, our, of themselves and post them to, to people and really the res- only response to that is when will men learn that women are not sexual objects, their mm. their bodies aren't don't belong to you and when will they start respecting us as complete beings as opposed to just something to look at and something to trade, like trading cards if you will. Yeah. The response that Clementine Ford had was um, a headshot uh, that said, hey sunrise get effed. Mm. <laughs> Written on the top but of on her, her chest. chest. Mm. Yeah, yeah and that, that went supernova viral as well um for good reason because a lot Mm. of people can relate to to this victim blaming and of course the backlash from that has been yeah she got quite a lot of backlash Mm. so much so that i think that she's taking legal action it looks like just looking online now what's been reported in the sydney morning herald um Mm -hmm. is that on the 26th yeah that's a month ago now but she was looking into legal action against one of the main uh, nastiest of the mm, proponents mm. involved with that yeah. Yeah. young gentleman who doesn't really deserve the title gentleman. So mm, mm, I'll yeah. remove that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, we don't know what uh, what's happened since then. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. So yeah. so the panel and and we do have another wonderful guest, Natalie Hendry, who's a researcher who explores social media and visibility of young people's experience on the internet. Mm, mm. But really, I'm um, you know the whole theme is like calling out, calling in pitchfork mobs, hanging judges, justice and just us, accountability, responsibility, friending and defriending is being ganged up online as brutal as being ganged up on the street. It's Mm. asking the question, Mm. is there a difference between vile threats of violence and personal threats of violence? Can online ever be safer, a safer space? And can we take up virtual space to account for the lack of physical space some of us are allowed, particularly as women? Mm. Why do we need to read the comments? Oh, oh. why do I read the comments? Uh, why? why do we why write do such comments? comments? Yeah. Why yeah. do people write such comments? Why do people comments? think they can get away mm. with doing that yeah. if they don't yeah. have the you know the cowards most of the time, I guess? I'm sure we'll discuss it more on, on mm. the panel itself, but I do think it does come down to educating our young people and I mean it's 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 such a strange thing it's like we're we're taught from a very young age not to steal and to be polite face to face but the internet is so big it has become part it is, it is ingrained in our day-to-day life and we need mm. to really extend that education yeah. to young people and whoever we can really. Mm. And Lana have you had any experiences where you've just went wow okay you got trolled you got docs yeah. or anything like that yeah well not docs so much like mm. everything from creepy anonymous man 
sending me really explicit emails. Mm. I don't even know how they got my email address. They obviously knew who I was. Mm-hmm. To definitely, you know, not so much actually for me. I've had other people f- comment and I've actually had people here comment going, I'm never commenting on your post again. It was mm. really quite interesting. I put up a comment recently mm. asking about what they thought the role of an ally was and if an ally was a good thing. Mm. And lots of people commented and lots of people had really strong opinions on that. And it's really interesting because they had strong opinions, assuming that I'm talking about allyship in the LGBTI community. But mm. what was going through my head was we in Australia are pretty racist and mm-hmm. being a woman of colour, we don't have a lot of support or allyship or kind of even any talking around what it means to be a person of colour. And so I wasn't even talking about queer stuff, mm. but all these queer people were making comments about allyship in the queer community and it's only because of our allies that we have marriage equality and people making comments about, you know, well, they don't support us in other aspects of our queer lives and people like I'm never commenting on your wall again so Mm. certainly it's an interesting thing I've certainly also done things like defriended people Mm, mm. and them having real issues about it because they've put up things that are problematic and trying to find a space where do I call them out on it or do I call them in on it Mm. Mm. if they're not even comment maybe I don't know Mm. it's pretty common within like feminist conversations and and whatnot that there, you will have people who who do have potential and will listen and are, are malleable, if you will, mm. and and would like to hear the facts. But then there are people who don't, and they're yeah. just there to start an argument. And it, I've had friends who I've tried very, very hard because they've been around in my life for oh forever uh, to to have conversations with, like, hey, you posted this the other day; it's problematic, and here is why. And mm. take take them out to dinner because they're a friend. Yeah. And then it keeps on reoccurring and. There's only so much work you can put towards it before yeah. you have to kind of give in and move on to yeah <laughs> move mm. on to other things. So I completely understand. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a recent one that's happened for me as well. Yeah, and mm. I think you know, particularly, I think we're both coming from a p- feminist perspective mm. here, where we think of our community in which we actually interact with daily, and think about the difference between calling out somebody that's a random misogynist person that's specifically trolling Mm. and calling in a community member going hey you know that's a bit problematic and how do you figure that out how do you figure out when it's appropriate to call out and how do you figure out when it's appropriate to call in Mm. you're listening to joy 94.9 and this is a little part of joy with alice and andrea up next from sci-fi and scream david bowie with dr liz dufray Sonia the Squeamer Hammer talks over the phone with Dr. Liz Dufray about her covers and collaborations discussion at the David Bowie Is Symposium, which was held recently at ACME. You can listen to the entire podcast by downloading it from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au forward slash sci-fi and squeam, or download it for free from the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is Sonia for Sci-Fi and Squeam here on Joy 94.9. It's all about the Bowie. Part of David Bowie is something that we don't get very often. We may never see again, all collectively arriving on the footsteps of Melbourne Town. It's one of the biggest exhibition and events that we'll probably will see for such a long time about the man, the chameleon, the musician, the alien, whatever you like to call him. And I have the wonderful Dr. Liz Dufray on the phone to us in Sydney Town and uh, talking to us about something she's involved in coming up this Friday, uh, the 17th 
of July, 2.30pm. It's called Covers and Collaborations. So, welcome. Thanks, Sonia. Good to talk to you. And what's your background and how did you connect with the Bowie? <laughs> well, I'm an academic, my, is my mm. day job, but my day job used to be as a music writer. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So I kind of came across Bowie as you do, being a little music fan down the front. And then I was first kind of given an assignment to review a best of, I think it was. And I was mm-hmm. sort of, you know, young and fresh-faced, I went, who is this guy and what's going on? So, and my kind of first proper brush with Bowie was when he was here for the reality tour. I think it was in 2004. And I got to go to the press conference in Sydney. And what really struck me was how kind of reverent everybody was. And, you know, and obviously you can understand why. It's kind mm. of big kind of, it's like this sort of spiritual experience being in the same room as the man. Mm. And what struck me was that he was actually, you know, he was really funny. And oh. really kind of unassuming and quite kind of daggy almost. And so that's what I'm talking about when it comes to when it comes to this conference. I'm talking about his comedy cameos and how he kind of... It's, it's laughing with Bowie, not at him. And I know that I've got to be very, very clear about that because I think I might step on a few toes, you know. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to make fun of Bowie or make fun of anybody's mm. love of Bowie. But I just was so struck by how somebody who is so awed and of course that's what the symposium is showing too is it you know how in awe of him we are fits so well into specific kind of comedy roles so in particular i'm looking at i don't know if you've seen zoolander which gosh oh yes yeah but he made the most wonderful cameo in that where he was judging the walk-off yes that's Uh, amazing yeah Yeah, so i'm talking about that and also he was in extras um yes i was just about to say extras Yeah, that was yeah, hilarious but, too. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, he is so funny, but what makes him funny is that he's absolutely straight, serious Bowie. You know, yeah. he's not even even though at that press conference and in little interviews since, he does crack jokes and he does. You know what I mean? He's got quite a great. He's got quite a good sense of humour as a person. Mm. What makes them work in that context is that he plays the most serious version of Bowie he can. You know. Mm, mm. So, yeah. yeah, he's got um, that black humour and he understands irony and all those things that I guess Absolutely. makes yeah. him English. It's a very English <laughs> perspective. It's pretty, you know, it can be pretty cruel as well, but he yeah. seems quite self-effacing. So, you yeah, know. yeah. Well, I think he's also not scared to, you know, I mean, and if, if you know, I hadn't really thought about it as being a particularly British thing, but I think you're right. I mean, mm. you know, if you compare him to, say, an American cameo where they have to kind of steal the show and you know, do something different. He kind of doesn't do that, you know. He very mm. he stays in Bowie character, if that makes yes, sense. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so for Zoolander, he's he's judging the style and he's got to be, you know, right down in there when they have the wedgie off. He gets in there, behind, you know, between Zoolander's legs to really make sure that wedgie's up there, you know. I mean, that's just attention yeah, to detail, you know. <laughs> that's just like, that's yeah. upsetting and, and at the same time extremely amazing and surprising that he yeah. would... You know, I mean, you're like he's like a godhead, and people are, you know, they don't feel worthy around him. But I think he takes the piss, and it just brings it actually elevates him more. Believe it or not, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's clearly in on it. Like he knows the construction, you know, and he knows that it's he he knows what that kind of role is too. And of course he does because he's one of the few artists that make a point of creating their personas, you know. Mm. We know them, Ziggy Stardust and the Thin White Duke and all that. He's, he's actively created characters for himself in a lot of ways. So it makes sense that, you know, he'd be willing to create them in 
comedies for us too. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like the tea party and the Mad Hatter's in charge, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, But he's absolutely. very clever, very clever. Now, for the panel that you're on uh, for mm. the symposium, there's also, they're talking about a lot of different uh, music and things. Is anybody mm. going to be doing Flight of the Concords or...? Well, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. That was yeah, beautiful, sorry. wasn't it? Yeah. It's like awesome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be talking a little bit about it because, again, it's that difference between when other people make fun of Bowie or when other people use him as a as a punchline, if you like, mm. as opposed to Bowie getting in there and being part of a new thing. Yes, So yes. I think that was the thing with Flight of the Concords. I know Jimmy Fallon did the T-Bowie thing for a while, and there's all those memes going around. I love the one that's Bowie done up as Jareth from The Labyrinth, and it's mm. just it's a meme that says, David Bowie knows what you do when you when you zoom in on his tight pants, you know, all of that kind of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and they're all, but you know, they've all got a life of their own too, so they're fantastic. Yeah, so I'll talk about them a little bit, but I'm more looking at, yeah, exactly him getting into new contexts and doing something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what uh, what what is the standout for you as far as the way that he does show his persona? Do you think, he, um, you know, what's the... Yeah, I, look, the extras one really struck me because, and I'm mm. not sure if you've seen it, but basically mm. it's a it's an episode where Ricky Gervais's Andy has a bit of a cri- artistic crisis because he feels that he's had to be compromised and he's put together a sitcom that, you know, is lowest common denominator and he hates it and the public hates it and everything. So this mock little bit where he goes to Bowie to kind of ask for artistic guidance, you know, and mm. Bowie just starts singing, you know, budgie little fat man, like just makes a song. <laughs> Out of Ricky Gervais's, you know, you it's just hilarious desperation. Yeah, and what's so beautiful about it is he's so committed to it. You know, so mm. one way you get this amazing bit where you think, Jesus, this man can make music out of any old crap, you know. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you sit there and you think, Oh my God, this is so ridiculous. How do you do it with a straight face? You know. <laughs> and what's really wonderful about it too is on the extras for extras DVD, there's a little bat behind the scenes he does an interview where he then talks about having given Ricky some jokes for some subsequent episodes, you know, and explaining to him how comedy is done and it's totally deadpan, it's just wonderful so Mm. that's on YouTube actually, it's worth having a look at. I'll have a look at that, I haven't seen extras of extras. Oh it's great, it's so good and again it's just proof that he absolutely knows what he's doing and what's so funny is that he's not trying to ham it up but he's mm. funny by being as serious you know what I mean as serious as he can be mm. well I think after such a career as he's had amazing yeah. career I mean you've got to laugh don't you he must be thinking yeah. this is hilarious some yeah. of the time and that, oh <laughs> and that was the thing that kind of got me way back at that first press conference it was. He, everybody else was so kind of, you know, can you tell us about, you know, your inspiration, hearing your inspiration, and he was just having a day, you know. Mm. He was just playing with people and saying day." and, you know, Glenn A. Baker was there with his silly hat on, and he goes, oh, nice hat, mate, you know, all that kind mm. of stuff, you know, that just, you kind of forget humour's the bit that makes him human, mm-hmm. you know, and the bit that kind of draws him human also, too. He's got to know. It's a bit ridiculous, you know. Mm, he's he's so got to wash those ziggy pants, you know. He's got to realise there's, there's a strange part to it all, you know. So, I think he was in earlier in his career. I think he was very, you know, serious. I suppose you call it about his, you know, his style, his music, and his life, and 
perceptions people had of it. But I guess that was because it was such a groundbreaking thing he was doing. Yeah. And no yeah. one was doing it and reaching that mainstream sort of yeah. fever. Yeah. There was yeah. sort of definite fever going on with us. Absolutely. His work. I think you're Whereas right. now yeah. I think he can he can enjoy those past merits and, and look just laugh at laugh at it all, why not? I think you're right. And also, too, obviously, when he was kind of breaking that early ground around, mm. say, you know, uh, his gender bending and then, you know, when he when he came out as homosexual or bisexual or whatever the, the mm. quote was at the time, mm. of course I can understand why you, you want to keep one line there because it is that fine line. The moment you, you invite humour, people can laugh at you rather than with you. And I can understand why at that time when that was such an important battle to have in order to break ground, I can understand why he didn't want to have any grey areas there. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> so that makes perfect, perfect sense. And I think you're right. Now that he's in that point of his career where he's like, look at you, you know, look at me, look at how successful I am. You know, now he can afford to play back with the audience, you know? You're listening to Joy 94.9. And this is a Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. And uh, we've come to the end of another wonderful evening. And we find all these really wonderful podcasts sitting around in our library. You really need to just go and investigate a few and have have a listen to the diversity we have. That's right. I mean, you might think we've covered a lot of content tonight with refugee discussions and David Bowie and... Sci-fi and Squeam. That's right. Social media. (laughs) And uh, Q&N News. That's right. And there's so much out there. It's a wonderful way to catch up on the radio that you miss, that you just should be listening to. It's fantastic stuff. You can find more of the complete programs on the JOY website, www.joy.org.au, or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of JOY, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favourite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.